We're going to talk about sacraments today, but we're going to start with a Bible quiz. If you are paying attention to today's gospel reading, you may get the correct answer. You'll have about five seconds. How many apostles are there? Now, some of you may have answered 12, and that's correct, more or less. Jesus appointed 12 apostles, Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Philip, Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, Thomas, called Didymus, Matthew, also called Levi, James, son of Alphaeus, Judas, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. But do we really want to count Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus? That puts us down to 11. Then we add in Matthias, who was chosen to take the place of Judas. What about the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of our New Testament? You know, Barnabas is also called an apostle in Acts, and Juna is called an apostle in Romans. Now, I bring this up to show that sometimes our Christian traditions, like 12 apostles, don't necessarily line up perfectly with Scripture. Now, I don't generally see this as a problem. Usually our traditions, which has come down through history, are not impactful on the core beliefs of our faith. They're not a matter of salvation or the truth of God's being. But it's worth evaluating our traditions to see if in them we are misusing or misunderstanding something that God desires to use in our lives. And John Wesley did this in his sermon called On Visiting the Sick. And we're going to revisit that sermon today. John Wesley's point is this. Our works of mercy should be done as a sacrament. Now, maybe this sermon is heresy. To say acts of mercy as a sacrament is not part of our historic Christian teaching, even though it is part of historic Christian practice. Acts tells us that the members of the early church pooled their possessions and even sold property in order to take care of each other. What we call the first deacons of the church were put in place to make sure all the widows, regardless of ethnicity or culture or language, all had food to eat. In fact, many religions have a component of caring for the poor. But how important should this be in Christianity? So we need to ask the question, or answer the question, what is a sacrament? They are in some ways difficult to find because sacraments are designed to be a mystery a special activity and a means of grace that's considered sacred. Think about it in terms of geometry. Every square is a rectangle, but not all rectangles are squares. So too, all sacraments are worship and a means of God's grace, but not every activity or means of grace is a sacrament. The hearing and reading of scripture, the public and private praying, Fasting, those are all part of Christian worship, but they are not considered sacraments. Now, Christianity in general, and this really depends on your denomination, but has two to seven sacraments. And some traditions do not call them sacraments at all, but ordinances. Everybody agrees on the first two, the Lord's table and baptism. The remaining five are sometimes called not a sacrament of the gospel, which basically means that we don't see Jesus necessarily commanding and doing these things with his disciples. And those others are reconciliation, also known as confession, confirmation, marriage, ordination, or holy orders, and 
anointing of the sick. But here's the thing. Nearly all Christian traditions do all seven of these things. We just don't call them all sacraments. What one denomination calls confirmation, another calls discipleship. What one calls confession, another calls accountability. However, most Protestant denominations only maintain the Lord's Supper and baptism as the big two. And in a simplification of history, we can look to the Reformation as the reason why. And here's the basic questions that were asked when considering an act of worship, if it should be kept as a sacrament. First, did Jesus command it to be done? And second, did Jesus promise his presence when the act is performed? In the case of the Lord's table, we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, which says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus commanded his disciples to remember his death in this way until he returns and said that the bread is his body and the wine is his blood. So we have a command and presence. In baptism, and this goes along with discipleship, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands we make disciples and baptize them, and that when we do this, he is with us until the end of the age. Again, we have command and presence. So using those two questions, we could even include reconciliation as a sacrament because Jesus commands it in Matthew 18:15 through 20. And it's in that context that Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. But there was one more question. Had the ritual overshadowed the meaning or become abused? The answer to this question is why the Apostle Paul in the early church abandoned the love feast as part of the celebration of the Lord's table. The celebration of the Lord's table used to be a full meal, but the meal time had become abused. So now the sacrament is generally practiced very simply. Also, in my opinion, confession is became an abused sacrament due to the political nature of the Roman Catholic Church and papacy at the time of the Reformation. I mean, can you imagine if you heard everybody's confession, how you might use that against them politically. But we're here to see about John Wesley's evaluation of the acts of mercy as a sacrament. So let's look at the key passage, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In the end, part of final judgment is not just how I treated others, but specifically how I treated people with less means or privilege than I have. Jesus doesn't make a distinction between why a person is in a situation where they are poor or in need or without family to help them, or even why they are in prison. It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. It doesn't matter why the person was on the road. What matters is my response when I see someone I can help. And Jesus is saying here, if you're one of his sheep, that is, one of his followers, a disciple of Jesus, someone who calls himself a Christian, those people will do the following. Feed the hungry, give drinks to the thirsty, show hospitality to outsiders, clothe the poor, care for the distressed. To put it simply, Jesus says his true followers make a practice of doing acts of mercy. But are acts of mercy a sacrament? Well, let's look at our questions. Does Jesus command it? Yes. In fact, we're judged by him on whether or not we do these things. Is Jesus' presence promised? Yes. Because when we do an act of mercy, Jesus says we're doing it to him. And that certainly makes me look differently when I look into the eyes of someone who is homeless or an immigrant, someone who's in need or an ex-con. And has the ritual overshadowed the meaning or become abused? No. In fact, this sacrament may be our most neglected, and that's why John Wesley a man who made it part of his Christian practice to practice generously to help those in need, said the church needs to add acts of mercy to our list of sacraments. And as a side note, John Wesley's band and class meetings were also a form of biblical reconciliation and confession, but that's a topic for another sermon. You know, the early Christian writing, the Didache, gives a portrayal of what worship service looked like in the early church. And it has the Eucharist and the love feast, the agape feast, as separate parts of the service. The Eucharist was sort of like what we do, a chunk of bread and a common cup. But then they would all sit down to a big meal, a potluck, and share food. It was part of the worship service and concluded afterward with a giving of thanks and a closing prayer. Part of worship and being a Christian was providing for those who had very little money and didn't have much to eat. So the love feast and communion 
together were one way that the poor were fed. It was a combining of the Lord's table and this act of mercy. And it's a reminder that salvation itself is an act of mercy. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe I've convinced you. How do we do it? Well, there are certainly many ways to feed the hungry, give drinks to the thirsty, show hospitality to outsiders, clothe the poor, and care for the distressed as individuals. You know, you probably don't need my help to figure that out. For me, sometimes I carry fruit with me in my car to hand out. In the winter, I like to have those little hand warmer packets to give away. I'm not a person with a lot of money, but I do have more than some others. I also have relationships and influence, so I try to connect people with needs to those who can fill those needs. And as a congregation, it's important, it's for this reason that we support partner organizations like First Care Pregnancy Center, Tubman, the Christian Covered Emergency Food Shelf, and World Hope. It's what Clean Kids 2020 is all about. And that in particular case is an act of mercy is providing baby wipes to families and towels to homeless teens. You know, we shouldn't think of this as another way the church is asking for my money. Instead, approach acts of mercy with the same reverence as we approach the Lord's table or baptism. And if preaching acts of mercy as a sacrament means I'm a heretic, well then a heretic I'll be. But I'll be a heretic that is counted with Jesus' sheep, not with the goats. Let's pray from Psalm 116. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Lord, I am indeed your servant. You have loosened my bonds and I will fulfill my vow to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Lord, as you have shown us the great gift of mercy to save our very lives, body and spirit, may we as your people fulfill the call to be the workers in your harvest and give your gift of life as you have enabled us and prove ourselves to be your people. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.